does God have a body? Does the Bible tell us that God has a body? We're going to talk about that today and more on BibleStudyPodcast.org starting now. Very serious. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to BibleStudyPodcast.org. Today is New Year's Eve, December 31st of 2008, and as always, I'm your host, Toby Logsdon, and of course, welcome to our next lesson on knowing God. Uh, This is a study that we're doing in which we are studying God's attributes so that we can understand Him, hopefully, a little bit better. So, welcome. I'm so glad and and feel so blessed to have you guys here with us today. Uh, You guys probably noticed, as I mentioned in yesterday's podcast on Romans chapter 6, verse 5, that last week we didn't have a Knowing God lesson. Last week I was actually spending Christmas uh, with my family in Las Vegas, which was really awesome. I went to uh, visit my parents there, and, uh, you know, it's been a while since I've been back, but it it was great to be back there. But uh, man, I'm just uh, I've, I'm so convicted about that city. There's just such a need uh, for God's grace in that place. Man, that place is just getting really, really bad. But anyway, uh, for those of you who listened yesterday, uh, I told you guys that I was going to have kind of a big announcement today. It's an important announcement, um, and this is not set in stone yet. So do not hold me to this. <laughs> But um, one of the things that I want to do with you guys next year is do live question and answers with you guys. And so I've been doing some research and really looking into this and you know trying to figure out how I would do that. And I think I can do it through Skype. So if you have a Skype address, uh, we can talk you know over the internet uh, for free. So if you do have that, then we can do question and answers live. What I need to do is figure out how to record that. I know there's a way because I know that there um, there are some atheists who do a podcast, and they uh, they invited me to be on it about a I don't know about a year ago. Um, but what they do is they have a, a conversation over Skype and they record the call. So uh, so anyway, uh, that's something that I am looking into to do with you guys next year. I think that would be. Uh, really awesome, and you know we could cover a lot of different topics, and it would give you guys a chance to ask follow-up questions. So, of course, uh, these would be recorded and edited. So, uh, if uh, if anybody were to call in, say, and you know, curse or or do anything that was uh, objectionable, you know, I would edit that out. But uh, just something I'm looking at right now. So, anyway, that's just something for you guys to be thinking about, and something for you guys to be uh, thinking about questions for. So, anyway, let's go ahead and get started today with a quick word of prayer. Father God, as we come into your presence today, we just thank you so much for teaching us about yourself in your word, and I just pray, Lord, that we will be teachable, that our minds will be open and clear, and that we will be um, able to understand you better as a result of our lesson today, in order that we can glorify you in our lives, because we know you better than we did before. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in our last lesson, we discussed the fact that God is infinite. Of course, that was a couple weeks ago. Last week, we did Don't Myth Christmas. Uh, So that was a little bit of of a break that we took from this study. But our last lesson was on God being infinite in his being and nature. And as such, being being infinite, God must necessarily be non-spatial. 
In other words, he doesn't occupy physical space. Uh, if he did occupy physical space, then nothing would exist except God, uh, since a being that is infinite would leave no space or no room for anything other than himself. So this leads us uh, logically to the next attribute of God that we'll be discussing this week, and that is his immateriality. Now, this is really an issue that has never been challenged too much until recently. Uh, there's a philosopher named Clark Pennock who has joined Christian circles. You know, he was in the Evangelical uh, Theological Society, and uh, he's written much in an attempt to really kind of shake up traditional Christian orthodoxy and Christian doctrine. And in addition to being an open theist who explicitly denies the unchanging nature of God, uh, Clark Pinnock has also attacked God's immateriality. On pages 33 and 34 of his book titled The Most Moved Mover, Pinnock writes, quote, if he, that is God, uh, if he is with us in the world, if we are able to take biblical metaphors seriously, is God in some way embodied? End quote. And then he goes on to respond to that by stating, quote, I do not believe that the idea is as foreign to the Bible as we have assumed. Is there perhaps something in God that corresponds with embodiment? Having a body is certainly not a negative thing because it makes it possible for us to be agents. Perhaps God's agency would be easier to envisage if he were in some way corporeal. End quote. And further, he notes, quote, I do not feel obligated to assume that God is a purely spiritual being when his self-revelation does not suggest it. Again, end quote. Now, of course, what is God's self-revelation? It's the Bible. So according to Clark Pinnock, the Bible doesn't teach that God is purely spirit. Rather, it teaches that God has a body according to Pinnock. Well, we'll examine what the Bible teaches about God being immaterial in just a moment. But first, uh, as always, you know, let's go ahead and get started by establishing a working definition of immateriality. What do we mean when we say that God is immaterial? Well, simply put, when we say that God is immaterial, we're saying that he is not material. And this forces us to ask, what is material? Well, if you were to look up the definition in your dictionary or something, you know, you'd find a definition that says something like this, the substance or substances of which a thing is made or composed. Okay, well, you know, that, that helps a little bit since, you know, we don't believe that God is composed. Uh, he doesn't have a composer. There was nothing prior to him, so there was nothing which composed him. Uh, so therefore, he logically can't be composed. Uh, a better definition might be something like that which is formed or consisting of physical matter, or maybe uh, something which is corporeal. Uh, corporeal means uh, embodied, you know, something with a body is corporeal. Uh, further, we should note that in addition to being physical, material occupies space and is thus within the dimension of space. And because it is within the dimension of space, it's also within the dimension of time, since those two are inseparably connected. So because it's within the dimensions of time and space, anything that is material is also finite. Further, because material is in the space dimension, it's subject to the second law of thermodynamics. Uh, according to modern physics, all things in the observable universe, all things which we can see and empirically uh, study, are affected by and obey the laws of thermodynamics. Uh, the second law of thermodynamics states that the quality of matter and the quantity of energy both deteriorate 
over time. So in the processes of, uh, of growth and repair, usable energy, which is found in material, is converted to unusable energy. So to summarize the second law of thermodynamics in a nutshell, it means that the material universe is exhausting. It is using all of its usable energy. And so thus, material is also defined by the fact that it's in a constant state of deterioration. So when we say that God is immaterial, we're saying that God is none of these things. He's not material. He's not deteriorating because he is not physical or corporeal. He is not physically observable. God is immaterial. Now remember, Clark Pinnock denies that the Bible teaches that God is immaterial. So does it? Does it teach that? Well, let's take a quick look at what if anything, the Bible says about God's immateriality. First of all, God told Moses, you shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. Of course, that's in Exodus chapter 20, verse 4. And this implies God's immateriality because it's impossible to make a physical image of something that's non-physical. God later told Moses, You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. That's from Exodus chapter 33, verse 20. Well, time out for a second here. The Hebrew word for face is actually pretty significant, and I think that the translators were uh, maybe maybe a little bit off, maybe mistaken, in translating this word as face. Uh, It's translated elsewhere uh, as face, but it's also translated elsewhere as presence. Uh, Moses had just asked to see God's glory, and God was responding to that. So it's noteworthy that the Hebrew word for face gets translated sometimes as presence. Face is the primary translation, but we could just as easily, and perhaps more sensibly, interpret this verse, or translate this verse, uh, to have said, um, you cannot see my presence, that God was telling Moses, you cannot see my presence. So why could Moses not see God's face, or not see God's presence? It's because God is immaterial. So God's immateriality is certainly implied in this verse as well. And then we skip ahead to, uh, go ahead and skip forward to the New Testament. In John chapter 1, verse 18, we read that, quote, no one has seen God at any time, end quote. In John chapter 4, verse 24, Jesus says, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The fact that God is spirit reveals that he is immaterial. Further, in Luke chapter 24, verse 39, the risen Christ appears to his disciples and says, Look at my hands and feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So the fact that uh, the God is spirit and a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones means that a spirit is immaterial. God is spirit, therefore God is immaterial. So uh, then moving on to the epistles of the New Testament, and of course these are the letters written by Paul and some of the other apostles, we find that Paul writes in Romans chapter 1 verse 20 that since the creation of the world, his, that is God's, invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Uh, God's attributes are invisible because he is immaterial. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 15, Paul writes that Jesus, quote, is the image of the invisible God. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 17, Paul writes, now to the king eternal, immortal, 
invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. So there again is the word invisible, which clearly indicates that God is immaterial. In fact, the word invisible appears again in the book of Hebrews as well. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27, we read that by faith he, that is Moses, left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. So I don't know which Bible Clark Pinnock is reading. Uh, I really have no idea. But the Bible that we read out of does indeed teach that God is immaterial. So uh, God's immateriality also flows logically from several of the attributes of God, which we've already discussed throughout this study. And again, uh, by the way, I've received a lot of questions from people who have listened to these lessons out of order. So if you're listening to this as the first one, please go back and listen to the other lessons. That's been one of the more complicated things about this series that we're doing, and that is that people do uh, maybe listen to them out of order. So definitely, if you haven't listened to the lessons prior to this one, go back and listen to each one of the lessons in sequence. But anyway, God's immateriality flows logically and necessarily from the fact that God is pure actuality. According to the second law of thermodynamics, which we covered before, anything within the material universe is gradually deteriorating. In order to deteriorate, there must be potential for deterioration. As pure actuality, God has no potential to be something other than that which he is, and he has no potential to change. And so therefore, God is not subject to the second law of thermodynamics, which leads us to the necessary conclusion that God is, in fact, immaterial based on his pure actuality. Secondly, and similarly, God's immateriality flows necessarily from the fact that he is immutable. God cannot change, but all matter, according to the second law of thermodynamics, is in a constant state of change. So the necessary inference is that God is not material. Uh, third, God's immateriality flows logically from the fact that God is simple and thus has no uh, no parts, no divisions within him. All matter has parts. If you take anything that's material, you can divide it in half down to particles that you know that you can't see. Those particles are still there, however, even if you divide something down to the point where you can't see it anymore because you can't take something and make it into nothing. Uh, some of the earliest philosophers in the world recognized this when they attempted to devise a way to get from uh, from one point to another by going halfway at a time. And uh, if you're ever really bored, go ahead and try this. Uh, try to walk from one end of the room uh, halfway across to the other side, and then halfway from that point... Uh, to the other side, and then halfway again, and halfway again, and halfway again, and again, and again, and you will never reach the other side of the room. It's logically and physically impossible. But God is simple. He has no parts. He cannot be divided, and thus he is necessarily immaterial. Uh, fourth, God's immateriality flows logically from the fact that he is infinite, which is what we discussed in our last lesson. Uh, that which is infinite cannot be divided because no physical number of parts can add up to infinity. You can always add something more on top of whatever number you have. So everything that is material is finite because in accordance with the second law of thermodynamics, all material is in a constant state of decay. But since God is infinite, he does not decay, and, the, uh, and so therefore he must logically be immaterial. 
And of course, I am not the first person to assert that God is immaterial. Rather, this is something that uh, that Christian doctrine and Christian philosophers have asserted about God since uh, since the very beginning of the church. Augustine wrote that quote. Of all visible things, the universe is the greatest. Of all invisible realities, the greatest is God, end quote. According to Thomas Aquinas, quote, God fills every place, not indeed like a body, for a body is said to fill place inasmuch as it excludes the co-presence of another body, whereas by God being in a place, others are not thereby excluded from it, end quote. And then he also wrote that it is, quote, impossible that in God there should be any potentiality, but every body is in potentiality because the continuous as such is divisible to infinity. It is therefore impossible that God should be a body, end quote. And then Martin Luther, uh, he wrote that, quote, nothing is so small, God is still smaller. Nothing so large, God is still larger. Nothing so short, God is still shorter. Nothing so long, God is still longer. Nothing so wide, God is still wider. Nothing so narrow, God is still narrower, etc. End quote. So, throughout history, theologians and Christian doctrine has been affirming the fact that God is immaterial. Now, one of the primary objections to God's immateriality is the fact that the Bible describes God as having body parts. And maybe this is where Clark Pennock's coming from. Uh, for example, in First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, we read that, quote, the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth. Uh, in Nehemiah, uh, another example, it tells us that the hand of Nehemiah's God was on him. Uh, so how can we say that God is immaterial if God has all of these body parts that the Bible's telling us about? Body parts are physical, and therefore God must be physical, and if God is physical, he must be material, Right? wrong. The answer to this objection is that these are anthropomorphisms. These are anthropomorphic figures of speech which are describing God's actions, but they are not describing his actual being or his essence. It's describing his actions. So uh, so that objection totally falls flat. Now, as we close, we find that it's no surprise that the false god of Mormonism has a physical, material body. That's how they describe him. They explicitly say he has a body. And again, you know, that doesn't come as a big shocker since the Mormons have denied every other attribute of God that we've discussed up to this point. Um, at the beginning of this lesson, you know, we read a few quotes from Clark Pinnock, who's one of the leaders of this open theism movement, and he said that the Bible doesn't describe God as being immaterial. But we saw that the Bible does indeed tell us that God is immaterial. Uh, but Pinnock's point of view, his, his view of God, should come as no surprise, since Pinnock does not affirm the inerrancy of scripture. Instead, Pinnock says that scripture, quote, remains a human text beset by normal weaknesses, end quote. He says that on page 100 of his book titled The Scripture Principle. And then a page before that, back on page 99, uh, he asserts that, quote, Bart, uh, that is Karl Bart, uh, old German theologian, was right to speak about a distance between the word of God and the text of the Bible, end quote. So here's a guy, uh, Clark Pinnock, who doesn't hold to the inerrancy of Scripture, and his philosophy and his theological positions make that quite evident. And yet, sadly, tragically, we find his books on the shelves of a lot of pastors nonetheless. 
But, you know, we reject the philosophy and the false theology of, uh, of Clark Pinnock and anybody else who denies God's immateriality. We affirm that God is immaterial. He's non-spatial. He does not take up space, yet he takes up all of space, just like Martin Luther said. So, anyway, if you guys have any questions, of course, you can email me at cleanslate.ministries at hotmail.com. Thank you guys so much for listening today. I'll see you next time on BibleStudyPodcast.org. Keep growing closer to Jesus.